Wesley Schultz, the Lumineers. Thanks for joining us, man. Absolutely. Good to be with you. You know, when you have a band, any band out there, but when you have a band like the Lumineers that dominates, and when I say dominates, I mean, you sell out arenas, you headline festivals, you open up for U2. Uh, It's reflective of a song catalog that resonates with fans. So take me through your thought process in creating Brightside and the pressure of that expectation. Yeah, there's, there's a guy uh, from Motorhead, Lemmy. He, he said, uh, if you think you got what it takes, fly your flag and see who salutes. <laughs> and so I, I feel like I don't think of it as dominating so at all. I think of it more like resonating. It somehow strikes a chord with people in a way that, you know, some, some albums you get help from a radio station will play your music more and sometimes less. And, but if music finds a way, that's really special. You know what I mean? Uh, it, and so I think with Brightside, we were, we were taking our own version of risk by not making it at all in the same way we had made our previous records. We had just, you know, everybody has a, most people have a smartphone and on that it has voice memos of some sort. And that's all we had going into the studio was just these really crude versions of demos on these voice memos. And in the past we showed up and we had a whole Pro Tools session, you know, where you, you put drums in and bass, piano and guitar, but you can do all these things. So for us, just coming in kind of like improvisationally was a lot. It gave, it gave the album a much different feel. And it's something I think we both needed to do it that way um, in a way to like be, be back on your heels a little bit and not quite know what, what you're doing. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because from a fan perspective, I mean, you kind of hit on this as well. You know, the Lumineers, Cleopatra, Three, they could almost be like one album where they all just mesh together. But that theory comes to a screeching halt on Brightside. Yeah, in some ways, I feel like that's a, it's like an evolution. Because if you listen to Three and then you listen back to the first album, they're very different. But if it's a slow kind of time-lapse evolution, it feels natural. I'm sort of proud of that because I want there to be less of a contrived, we're going to change and more like, this is what we're really into. You know, on the most recent album, Brightside, um, you hear a lot more of Jer's drumming. He's always been able to drum. It's not like he got lessons between albums or something. He's always known what he's doing, but he was always serving the song in this really kind of beautiful, humble way. And Uh, For me, lyrically, it's really different because I was always, I think, really intent on trying to tell a very linear story, you know, almost rooted in some of the folk music or that type of, uh, what's the word, mentality going into writing, telling a story. And these are stories, but they're more like a feeling. Um, And you don't really know what I'm saying exactly, but you hopefully all, we all feel the same way when we hear it. And you know, a formative thing that happened to me, I was, I was a sophomore in high school, however old you are. And I went and saw um, Neil Young play solo at this theater. And it blew my mind. You know, I'd seen bands and I had some, I had never seen anything like that. And I also had, I realized that he was, he was of the same ilk as like an Kurt Cobain, which was like everything at that age, you know, um, 
the way they wrote was so much less about did you get what happened in the story and more about you feel you you feel something primal and visceral and that's a really for me that was a different way to write because i feel like i sort of gave myself outs or an alibi saying well if they don't get it they don't get the story you know instead of it's it's weird it's like you're taking on a different kind of thing when you're saying they don't feel what i feel you know it's like it's elusive so we're those guys were Neil Young is still the master of that. And Kurt was incredible savant at it. Um, but I, I, I always felt like fascinated by that idea that you, you didn't have to tell such a linear thing. And I maybe never approached it a whole lot. We have a few songs that we've done it with, but this was like a whole album of that where you don't really know quite what's happening, but you kind of know how we're feeling when we're, when we're singing it. You so mean the in the feeling sense that- in the sort of currency that's coming through on this particular album that you're doing is a little bit sort of more immediate and sort of cathartic than the earlier ones. Is that what you mean? It's definitely more immediate, but not necessarily by intention. I think we realized that by expressing a feeling, we just realized that playing live and playing the album for our friends, all of a sudden they were immediately pulled into the record. And the other ones, you almost had to know more about it before you fully were with it, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's a song by the raconteurs, um, about a milkman. Um, man, I have to get the name. Um, he's like, just blame it on the milkman. That's how the song ends. Um, but it's a whole story. The whole song is this beautiful story and you're trying to figure out what happened and it's a work of art, but that's different than keep on rocking in the free world or, or sugar mountain or something like that, where you're you don't even know what the hell he's talking about. Sometimes you just, you, you feel, you feel. And I think we, we just went into it thinking the album thinking like, well, we weren't supposed to be making a in quotes. We weren't supposed to be making a record right now. So this is all icing on the cake. We just got kicked off of our tour via COVID. So let's just do something with our time and let's try something a little more spontaneous. And then that, that's the result. But uh, again, I think it's like we set ourselves up to do something like that but we weren't really it wasn't so uh planned out and, and i think that's that's what that's that, that that comes across in the same way that on um, our second album we had uh, angela and our third album we had jimmy sparks and both of those were not planned songs those mm-hmm. were very you know half half-baked ideas that became songs and i think they have a different energy on the record because of that um so it's a, it's a funny alchemy, you know, like anything. It's not like, like the conditions were right and then we were ready to do it. I don't think we probably could have done this on our first or second record. We weren't really confident in our, in our ideas, you know, kind of suspicious of them, actually. So you guys kind of really hone, like in the past, really hone the ideas together and it takes a while. And then when you go live, it sort of turns into another beast. And But you guys have always sort of had that sort of, transcending element with your crowd where you the crowd is really sort of resonating whereas this album has just flowed out kind of like that from the get-go yeah it's weird I, it wasn't written to be played live but it's been really fun to play it live uh in, in other words i've you know you don't sometimes you write a song like am radio and then you go that's gonna be pretty fun i can already tell before yeah. we ever played it for people, I said that probably will close out shows at some at some point. That will, when it's around a year or two, you could you could 
end a show with that song. It has some sort of climax to it or finality, epicness yeah. to it that like Stubborn Love had, things like that. Um, so, but in the moment, if you press and try to do that stuff, it's not going to really work out in your favor. So it, it's more like you have blinders on and then you look at it after you're done and you say, oh, cool. That's, that's going to see it as, as someone else and sort of be a little bit more objective about what you've just done and sort of peel it backwards. Yeah, because um, yeah. you're trying to I mean, piece together. For me, when I heard your thing. album, I was listening to the whole thing. And the one that popped out for me was uh, Birthday Song. I don't know why that one just immediately just popped straight out. And I was just like, I have to keep listening to this song. Is there anybody else that you've shown that track to and the whole album that they've said similar things? Yeah. My brother said the same thing, which really surprised me because um, my brother's the first person who said something I knew was the truth to me early on. You know, he was kind of like, he never said much. And then I played him flowers in your hair in Scotland these were these two early songs that we were making. And he's like, I think, I, th I think you're onto something. Like he had never said I wasn't before. Cause he was, a, you know, a good, good brother, but he, and with this, I kind of thought he would, well, first of all, I think saying birthday in any song is sort of radioactive in theory. You're, you're just like, it's not a good idea. <laughs> and that's part of the allure. It's like a comic that wants to tell a joke about something you're not supposed to tell a joke about. Where, it's the same thing I, I thought when I heard the words. I was thinking birthday songs. You can't really well, take it seriously, but yeah. I was loving it. I was driving, but, absolutely loving it because of how different it was coming across. McCartney's yeah. done it. Springsteen's done it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, those are legends, you know. It's like uh, I think when we when we started writing that, Jared sent me this voice memo. He was He was in Italy. He had just moved there, but they couldn't move into their place. So they're living with the in-laws and he's just kind of losing his mind. Um, and he sent me this, this really desperate sounding voice memo. I was like, it's all right, it's all right, it's all right, it's your birthday. <laughs> and I'm like, what's going on in Italy right now? Like, is he all right? And also, why did you say it that way? Why did you say it's all right? And just the, the whole thing really, it was arresting, you know, it was captivating. And then I thought to myself, well, you know, the only way we can really make this make sense and be like compelling is, is it, it has to have these verses that are feeling very sad and melancholy. And then it explodes into this. All right, we're doing this. We're doing this. We're having <laughs> your birthday, regardless of the house just burned down or whatever the circumstances are, we're going to do this. And um, it kind of felt like in a funny way, you know, during the pandemic, there were babies being born. There was still weddings occasionally. There was celebrations in different ways. People were trying to have some semblance of joy and community without, without it being in its full form. And it felt like that song was like a part of that feeling. You know, like we do these rituals, but the rituals feel different under different circumstances. So, so the birth birthday really fit in with that vibe. And I remember uh, even just how the song kind of resets itself at the end. We would never have done that. We would be too self-conscious in the past. And we were like, this is great, man. Let's do it. Like, you know, wind it up, tune it up a half step. Let's have some fun with this instead of, uh, I guess, overanalyzing. You know, there's a level of OCD that took place in our music previous three albums that was a controlling factor that, 
it was nice to shed some of that and just feel like curious and like not self-conscious about it are you able let let go uh of the reins a little bit after doing a few albums uh things tend to flow a little easier for sure yeah i mean that's the like the hold on loosely song you know it's like 38 special baby yeah it's like it pretty much is that it's the same with you know dating it's the same with everything you know you kind of have to like let go and just try to be you and let it come to you and Unfortunately, and fortunately, fortunately for us, it, we were enough of making songs that were like, we, we had our freedom behind closed doors. You know, when we were writing, you have to kind of hypnotize yourself and you're free in that moment. But then the editor comes out and just kind of chops it up. And I think there were, the editor got a little downgraded now. And it was more like, we were seeing much more of a big picture, like accepting of a lot of our, our sort of tendencies and flaws and just saying, let's do that. That's cool. And I think I think there's a lot of uh, benefit to a lot of bands on their third, their second, third, fourth records where you see this other side of them that was always there, but maybe just because of something that was in their head or how they perceived everything, whatever it was, they were constricting themselves or putting a, a governor on themselves that they didn't really need um, mm. that you see something joyous like this more come out. Wesley, I think also instrumentally, we hear a little more electric guitar from you, a little more power driven chords rather than, am I, am I accurate on that? Yeah, we, we had the, I mean, the song that starts off the album was basically the first song we finished, Bright Side, which became the title track. And that was one of those uh, Gretsch White Falcons, you know, Neil Young made his own signature sound with. Um, and like Simon Felice, our producer, just had it sit in the studio he's a huge Neil Young fan. In fact, him and his brothers dressed up as, as a bunch of nuns for Halloween and were Neil Nunn for, they like played a whole show that, and all these Neil Young covers. But so he's always been really enamored with him. And so have I, but um, basically, was that Jim laughing? Yeah, yeah. We got Jim to laugh. <laughs> Sorry, but I thought I was on mute. It was on mute. Neil That's Nunn, creative man. as. Um, but uh but yeah, basically, uh, Simon had bought this guitar because he saw a picture of Neil with his white suit and his white falcon. And he had it in the studio and I had never touched it. I never, just, I was like, that's not going to fit most of what we're doing in the past. And then Jer laid down this drum beat that was, this is sort of where the beautiful like reactionary stuff happens where I had this bad voice memo that I was going on a guitar and sing over that. And then Jerry went do, 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 da, 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 do, do, and, and did that on the drums. And it, it kind of was a, okay, he's now doing what I was doing. So now I have to do something else. Otherwise it's just redundant and it just steps on each other. And then that guitar was sitting there and I was like, can I try that? And it was these big open, you know, what, what I think of when I think of Neil Young and certain people that play where there's the space to play it that way. You know what I mean? And, and, by Jer playing the drums that way, it left me space to do it in a more sparse way and like open and, and more expansive. So that kind of stuff, like electric guitars is all over the record because we were just like kids with a new toy, you know, like, oh, let's put it on something else. Check this out. You know, on birthday song, when the, when the, it's on a classic guitar and when the hook drops down, there's these big kind of single note hits on an electric yeah. guitar. So even on, even on songs where you might not realize it. What about never really mind? There's, there's a, is that down there too? 
that's a telecaster so that's like our our bruce springsteen homage you know like like state trooper or like just in general i mean you know he made that telecaster so much of his sound and i think growing up i i, I have vivid memories of just sitting on on my like my mom had a little playroom she called it and it would is a rug and it had all this like play-doh stuck in it from all the times we would be playing in this room and i remember like picking out the play-doh laying on the floor and and bruce springsteen's playing on a tape in the room and i thought he was like 80 i was like who's this old guy you know and then <laughs> i looked at the picture and it's this young guy and he's singing about all this you know the stuff down the jersey shore and other things and it just felt like our 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 state storyteller you know and uh have you ever met so, him no i i haven't met him i'm dying i would love to meet him like uh hopefully one day one day not too far from now i went and saw him on broadway uh though and that was like i felt like i had met him because it was so intimate you know um and it was just him for most of the show but yeah basically never really mind we just uh we we searched around for guitars it wasn't like i want to make this on a telly but again like that just fit and there was not it was more like does this sound cool does this sound badass not is this going to sound too much like bruce springsteen or something like there was not that self-consciousness which i think allowed it to be what it was just like the beatles there's a very beatles bass being played on a beatles bass on never on a birthday that you know, you just kind of say, well, that's what I love. Let's do this. And I think embracing that was big for us um, in terms of like just being a little more free. It's like those improv classes where they ask you to yell bizarre things at each other. Or, you know, it's kind of like shedding your own inner critic and just exploring like prom, a little bit. Primal therapy. Yeah. Type. Yeah. Just start screaming at each other. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing how like if you you pick up a different instrument with a different sound or use a different pedal or a different guitar, how that can alone can spark a completely different sort of energy with with the creative process. Alone. Yeah, I mean with Brightside especially, and even just having Jer playing drums the way he was playing them, all of a sudden that made me feel like I had never heard that before in my life. You know, when I picked up this guitar and it was like. I truly felt like I was in somebody's garage at band rehearsal and we all showed up and we didn't know what we were going to do that day. And then it's like, check this out. He's got an amp. We got an amp. We got a guitar. Like <laughs> it's so innocent in a beautiful way that I think that's where a lot of the best ideas begin with is just like, there is no editor. There is no critic, you know, there, it's just like, it's just, it's as if I was telling my friends, like it felt like, and this isn't, this isn't in any way like in an arrogant way. It was just more like I've been playing for 20, I've been playing guitar since I was 16. So it's like 23 years, something like that. And, um, but it felt like playing these new instruments. It was like when Neo takes the pill and then he knows Kung Fu. It was like, I, I was like looking down on my hands as if I was doing something miraculous, but I'm just playing normal chords, but I'm like, holy shit, can you believe this? Like, listen to the sound and they're in this they're in the sound room the, the the like listening back on the monitors and like dude this is great like everybody's in this uh in this feeling of wonderment that is contagious and i think that made it onto the record um in a way that we would have kind of wasted that had we done that all in a demo 
back in Denver and then months later going out to the East coast to record. I think that there's a, there's a you urgency it. to that. Yeah. Do you think that yeah. this is a sign of things to come now with the Lumineers? I mean, I would love to make another record this way or any record we could. I, I also just think it's part, part of it's like, we didn't set out to do it this way strictly. And we didn't set out to make a movie concept record, the last record. So it's kind of like being open to what's happening, but I think, I think it's a way better approach and we time was flying by in the studio. It used to be like, what time is it? Not in a bad way, but you're just, you're just so pouring over everything. And this was more like, it felt like you were a passenger on this train that was moving really fast and it was just exciting. So um, no, no rogue fans are going to get an ax out and uh, halfway through the Lumineers electric a lumineer's gone electric and take an axe to the mixing desk because they're not folk enough anymore i know right i don't really know honestly like i don't know what that even means anymore like folk or americana yeah i i, I think it has a lot more to do with something about the surface look of a band than necessarily right. what they're even singing about um a white guy with an acoustic is probably a folk singer to most people <laughs> it's just how it is um yeah. but I think at the same time, you know, it's nice to stretch an audience because it's, it's means that we're entertained and we're going to put on a show because we're really enamored with something and not, I'm just, I, there are some, there are certain bands that they love a sound and they'll do that sound forever. And I think that that's, if that's what makes them tick, it's beautiful, more power to you. For me, it was nice to go in these subtle different directions you know, hearing Jared play so much, so many more uh, drum beats on this record or drums at all, um, using those electric guitars, um, even just like singing in different ways, you know, lyrics that were way less linear, all this stuff like added up to something more exciting to us. And it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't in a, I'm bored. I'm so good at this. Let's do something else. But it was something where it's like, I think I've, sang that song before i think i've played that before let's do something else that's like not quite it's like shaky ground you're not quite sure how the so sentence do, is do gonna you think end that happens with your songs when they go say from bedroom to studio then from studio to live stadium and then to anthemic status um do you feel sort of like the the weight of the maturity of the song as you grow with it upon you when you're when you're on that sort of journey with your own song, like the song itself has evolved and matured so much that you've got this sort of uh, mantle to sort of keep up with it. Like when you're on tour, like the song well, has a life of its own. I think, I think the songs definitely do that. We got to taught that early, you know, with like, Ho Hey was like a breakup song and then it became like a wedding anthem, which makes <laughs> no sense, but it's just like, that's, People don't know. That, that, that's, yeah. just, West, like that's, your, that's your born in the USA. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That was a protest song. So, um, but I, <laughs> don't I get think married like to it. Or like, get married to it, whatever you want. <laughs> it's weird, man. But uh, like something like I remember we were opening for you two. And one of the highlights of the show when we would open for us, like our moment was to play Slow It Down because it's just like, mostly solo with drums that join later that are very sparse, but it's just two guys on stage in a stadium. And it's either like, you're going to leave or you're going to lean in. And that song over time has taken on 
a whole lot of weight and meaning that we didn't really feel in the moment. Um, like I got my easy pass stolen. Someone smashed my window and took my easy pass and I was living in Brooklyn and I was just not doing well. And no one was like, there's a line in it about asking for a cigarette, you know, and I remember asking a girl for a cigarette outside of a bar and she's like, no, I don't know you. And I'm like, I'll give you, I'll give you a, I'll give you a dollar. Like I'll pay you. She's like, she just walked away. And I was like, this city is cold, man. Like, and, and I came to Denver is much different, but a lot of it was like about these sort of seemingly trivial things that became like whatever we were spewing, like whatever was coming out of us was also like, there was an honesty to it or like something about it that was elusive that like takes on a role. So I think part of it is like with this album, it's a lot more of uh, they're like riddles or like vignettes or they're not, they're not trying to say this happened and this happened. And then this was the end. It's more like, it's, it's more like, Hey, do you feel what I feel? And, and have I, have I communicated that both like in its vibe, you know, listening to talking heads, let's say growing up, my, my dad like raised me on the talking. It was like cars, talking heads, Leonard Cohen and Billy Joel. Those were like the Talks big four. Of the moon. A little bit, but like with, with, with something like talking heads, he always said, David Byrne said, it hits your, hits your body first and then your mind processes it later. And I think certain, like our last album was way more probably about it hitting your intellectual side and then and then your body almost feels it later this is more like i think it hits it's more immediate because it does hit your body first uh there's something more primal about it and then the rest of it follows and if you want to excavate down there's some things to find in there hopefully lyrically but it's a different approach and i've like always admired these people that that found a way to do that because it is like a strange uh mystical thing to to be able to like bring someone on the same page as you by yeah. just almost talking around it, you know, like singing around it, playing around it. John Lennon once said that, uh, uh, referring to jazz, he was like, I just can't get into jazz. It's too sort of intellectual, he goes, but rock and roll really kicks you in the guts. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's like, it, and, and it's funny because like watching the Beatles doc, John Lennon, the way he sings, and then you look at how Paul sings, I relate way more to John because John has like a, he has this thing, his break in his voice. And when That's you hit it. shredded asphalt voice. Yeah. yeah. When you hit that, there, there's some, it's like, it's like the moment the sun sets and there's some green spark, you know, like they talk about, I forget what that is. Or like the, the green flash. Like, yeah. It's like, there's something happening there. And then Paul was more like, he could use his voice like a chameleon, like an instrument. He could, mm. he could almost put pedals on it, you know, in a, you know, it was like he just knew how to use it in such a more advanced way. And John was like a kid singing. And he actually didn't like his voice from what I've heard. He put a lot of effects on it because he didn't like it. Double track. And for me, it's like I, I only understand how to kind of sing mostly one way. And that's finding the break in the voice. And then so every time if you ask Jer, every time we record, we're always like, OK, here's the song. Now let's find the key. And we'll we'll push it all the way up and down until we're getting the right amount of urgency and feeling out of the voice. And then we go backward from there. So it's like, it was fun watching that. And I also never realized how much I related to, I never for the longest time hated my voice and also 
I, I have that kind of break sometimes. And I always wished I was more like that. Those other kind of singers that can just do whatever they want to do. But as you get older, you start to realize, oh, I kind of like that about myself or these things that felt like it's what makes you, you. Yeah. These things that felt like disadvantages become strange advantages. If you can figure out a way to harness it. Um, but it, it's a funny thing that I, I've just been, even with music over the pandemic, you know, like there's so many songs that you wouldn't think people would be interested in or would want to hear when they're already sad. And then they go and they listen to sad music and it makes them feel alive, makes them feel, feel something, makes them feel connected because of that feeling. And it's, I think that's the, the bizarre nature of music is it's just so like, you can't think too much about it. It's more, and that's this album. This album is very much like Bright Side is about letting go of that intellectual thing and just like more of a gut feeling, you know, more from her heart, which is yeah, like for us a new direction. relate to that when they hear something that they're going through or that they've been through, it's, it's kind of like they have a certain empathy and uh, they can actually really vibe with it because they've been there too. And then that's how you build a connection. And, you know, yeah. hearing a sad song for somebody could be, you know, the happiest thing in the world, you know, just, just because someone else feels the same way. Yeah. It's, there's some Charlie Brown cartoon that I think Jer had lying around and it's like, it's like they're playing a sad record and he says, I, I what's the, what's the female character in that cartoon? Lucy. Uh, I can't remember. Lucy goes, that's such a sad song. And Charlie goes, I know play it again. <laughs> and it's like, that's what Jared and I have always been like, we have, we have piles of sad songs. It's like really hard for us to write even something remotely happy sounding. And so uh, mm. it's, it's like, but, but that's always been where like our interest was. So I think the, I think, you know, what's a good, what's a good music isn't always like a meritocracy or something as far as what becomes big and what doesn't what becomes successful or well-known. But I think a lot of what's reassuring about music is that there's all these artists that have found a way and their music has found its way. And it's not, it's not always right away, but good music really has like this way of growing like a weed through concrete or something. It's just like, it, it will find the sun, you know, and, and it will find its audience. And even being around, um, you too, and, and talking to them a little bit about it, it was like, they're just four friends that make music and they, they have ambitions, but you wouldn't like write the songs that made them really big, most of them, especially in the beginning, just to be big. They were writing them because they were fascinated by these songs. There was like almost hymnals for them. And they were, they were not this pop, you know, structure. And I think that's what's beautiful about a lot of this is just like, you can, you could sit around and you can try to intellectualize it or you can try to plan stuff. But these, if it's true to you, people will probably understand that. And if it's not, they're probably going to get that too. And that will feel more slick and more LA produced kind of thing, as opposed to this like heartfelt thing that seems to have a place with a lot of like a reassuring amount of people will find it. Whereas yeah, when you first start out, it's, it's a little daunting. You're like, how am I going to make it? No one cares. Wes, before we go, I, uh, Ben, Ben sent me something this morning. I want him to show you. <laughs> oh yeah. I, he, he designed vignettes to the album cover. Whoa. Yeah. 
It's your next uh, solo album, bro. Did, did you draw that? Yeah, I just did it about an hour ago. Because we, like we do these little thumbnails after really our Really good, podcast. man. Holy shit, bro. <laughs> that's like really good. Wow. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's I used good. to draw as a kid, and, and uh, I have a really big appreciation for like anybody that can make human likenesses, like, you know, especially the person looking at it. It's like, yeah, that does look like me. I plastered your Twitter with it, man. So uh, <laughs> give it a like. <laughs> you send Help me an that, old I'll, man I'll, out. I'll put it on my Instagram or something, man. You just send me it. Sweet ass, man. Hey, Wesley Schultz, Lumineers. Thank you so much for joining us. Don't forget, Brightside available January 14th. Awesome, yeah. dude. Thank you guys so much. Great chatting. Yeah.